lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Happy Thursday. Greetings. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. They are Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, and then you are you. Yes, our pronouns are on point here so far today, and we are happy about that. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the show, D-E-A-C-E. You can also follow me on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. You can like us uh, on those places. And then you follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. I forgot how it works around here. Uh, you can also go get clips of the program for free if you would like. Uh, that's not just free of cost, but free of censorship as well. Over at rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Again, that is rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. We have a jam-packed show lined up for you today. But before we get to that, I have to give you some very big personal news. Very big personal news. Received a very exciting email this morning. Built Bar is launching Rocky Road as a specialty flavor today only. This is a new one. Never tried it before. I went and used my own promo code to order a couple of boxes. And I just got the text. They're already on the way. Come on, guys. It's Rocky Road, like one of our favorite ice cream flavors when we were kids. Do they still make that, by the way? Do you know? I haven't seen it for I a think long so, time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, it was one of the best flavors when I was a kid, right? Same, yeah. yeah we're in the same generation. All right. So if, if, if Rocky Road Built Bar isn't going to do it, then I, I don't know what to tell you, okay? Um, because you won't find a more nutritious snack, a better tasting protein bar out there. I just got an email from a gal who said, all right, we decided to go ahead and order the Built Bars. You know, my husband uses the Atkins bars, and let's just say it's got a couple of side effects everyone else in the family does not enjoy. I hear you. I got some of those tummy issues when we get into like high protein but low fat foods, you know. I, I have a little digestive issue with some of that too. Uh, Built Bar is not just great on flavor and fits into your healthy lifestyle it is easy on the tummy as well and right now they have rocky road all right so use the promo code dace d-e-a-c-e get your rocky road or any other flavor you would like today when you go to built.com b-u-i-l-t did i mention rocky road built.com promo code dace get 15 percent off for rocky road they have rocky road guys is my Joe Biden getting better? Yeah. They're getting better? Okay. All right, coming up on the program today, we got a bit of a theological bent here uh, on the show. I know for those of you that want more and more theology, which is a growing, um, a, a growing segment of this audience, at least according to the feedback I get, you will not be displeased to hear that. Uh, Owen Strain is going to join us here at the bottom of the hour talking about his new book, Taking a look at Christianity and wokeness. We will have that conversation at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we will have Theology Thursday. And I thought we would tackle a very simple question today. You know, we've gotten into these really deep conversations about sovereignty and free will and eschatology. You know, all the stuff that for years I said we shouldn't probably do that. We're doing it all now, right? So I thought let's maybe dial it down a little bit. And let's do something that I think has a lot of agreement and has never really divided people.
people of, uh, of, of a believing mindset throughout the course of the church. And let's actually define what is the church. Losing the rest of my friends in three, two, one. All right. So that's what we're going to do next hour. We're going to answer the question, what is the church? In my next book that comes out later this year, it's going to have a lot to say about the cultural engagement of the church. So I thought maybe in advance of the book coming out, we would define what the church is. And we will do that for Theology Thursday. And then, Aaron, here is your weekly reminder. Three non-political questions coming up here in about 90 minutes. This time, though, I remembered. You did remember. Two minutes ago. Yeah, I, I, I saw, I could see, like, you began beaming. Hey, I got it this week, right? So we won't just have three oh. make them up as you go along uh, Mount Rushmore oh. questions. No, I seriously don't have them, but I just remembered before you reminded me. So that's an improvement. Steps in the right direction. Millennials. And with all that said, we'll toss it to our millennial for our rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Leaving a Mark. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis laid down the gauntlet on the White House's repeated attempts to vilify his entire state. Joe Biden suggests that if you don't do lockdown policies, then you should, quote, get out of the way. But let me tell you this. If you're coming after the rights of parents in Florida, I'm standing in your way. I'm not going to let you get away with it. If you're trying to deny kids a proper in-person education, I'm going to stand in your way and I'm going to stand up for the kids in Florida. If you're trying to restrict people, impose mandates, if you're trying to ruin their jobs and their livelihoods and their small business, if you are trying to lock people down, I am standing in your way, and I'm standing for the people of Florida. So why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. Thank you. Meanwhile, also in Florida, CNN introduced us to the most beta male ever last night. I care about your kid as much as I care about my kid, and I don't want any kid to, to risk being hospitalized or getting long COVID symptoms or just being a part of our community spread. Mask for all in the fall. Yes, that's a Duval County, Florida father who's been leading an effort to reinstate masking in schools there. He's also successfully abused and brainwashed his daughter. I'm so worried that if masks are not required, my brother could go to school one day and the next be dying in the hospital. It's okay to have your own opinions. It's like you can think what you want to think, but also the, these masks have proven that they are saving that they are saving people. And yes, masking your kids at home or anywhere is child abuse. The billionaire owner of Atlantic Magazine and widow to Apple pioneer Steve Jobs says that unvaccinated people should be placed on the no-fly list. Here's a picture of one of Lauren Powell Jobs's two private jets. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, yes, this schmuck you see here vaccinated with a face mask and face shield, is expected to announce a mandatory vaccine policy for all active-duty military. Boston Mayor Kim Janey compared the idea of requiring vaccine passports to live life to slavery and Jim Crow laws. 
A new study of polling data by Ryan Burge, a political science professor at Eastern Illinois University, found that, quote, those without any religious affiliation were the least likely to have received at least one dose of any COVID-19 vaccine, end quote. According to the poll published at Religion Unplugged, while 62% of evangelical Protestants and 70% of non-evangelical Protestants had received at least one dose of the vaccine, only 47% of the nuns, meaning no religious affiliation, reported the same. And a final thing on the vaccines, at least for today, this tweet from Brown University's Andrew Boston, quote, Large U.S. hospital network reveals COVID-19 vaxes, 95% plus mRNA, was correlated with a 62% increase in myopericarditis, median age was 36 years old, and a 60% increase in pericarditis. Median age is 59 versus the baseline. 25% of myocarditis cases had ejection fraction less than 50%, which is associated with an increase in long-term cardiac complications. Boston's tweet is based on a recently released preprint from JAMA. Daily Defiance, we go to Colorado, where fan of the show Charles Oster spoke against mask mandates to his local school board. There's no scientific evidence to substantiate a claim that masks uh, mitigate the transmission of upper respiratory viruses. We are acting hysterical once again. It is leaking into our schools. I am calling on this board to to follow your mission statement, to empower your students, to learn to empower your educators, to connect with their students. Stop this hysteria. You can do it, you have the power to do it. And community members, this will Thank go you, on until we end it. Thank you, sir. Other news, who could have seen this coming? Turns out the president of the human rights campaign, the paragon of the rainbow jihads, jihad, helped New York Governor Andrew Cuomo smear some of his sexual assault accusers. The New York Times became the latest high-profile institution to call on the governor to resign. Congresswoman Cori Bush says, security for me, but not for thee. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety nets. Joe Biden's nominee to head up the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, David Chipman, a man who has obviously never been given a swirly, failed to disclose to the Senate an appearance of his on Chinese state TV that was, in turn, used as propaganda by the Communist Party. And finally, here's Kevin Hart and Snoop D.O.W.G. commentating on Olympic dressage. Horses. I like this. This is equestrian. This is they prancing. Call this, they prancing. call this equestrian. By the way, look at that horse. Did you own a horse crip walking, cuz? You see that? <laughs> on the set. <laughs> That's gangsters of up. Hey! Oh, come on. Oh, look at this, girl. Oh, come on, man. This horse is off the chain. I got to get this motherfucking video. Oh, you And that's what happened while we were away. I was just sitting there thinking, this montage is going well. And then there was whatever that was at the end.
Uh, brought to you by Bonner Private Wine. Some of you may know it as Patriot Wine. You know, if you enjoy wine, you're tired of drinking that boring $10 grocery store bottle, you need to try some extreme altitude wine that comes from the mountains of Argentina, grown from Malbec grapes up to 9,000 feet of altitude. Any higher and the grapes wouldn't be able to survive. You might think, hey, this is just too highfalutin for me, too high priced for me. I'd love it to, to get my hands on a particularly now during grilling season, along with a steak, a good red wine with notes of blackberry, leather, smoke, maybe even a little dark cherry. You're thinking, I couldn't afford it. Maybe that used to be the case, but it isn't any longer. Right now, you can get some very high quality foreign wine, imported wine from our friends at Patriot Wine, which by the way, all three of us have sampled a bottle and all three of us Gave a big thumbs up, thumbs up to. All right, it, it, no big industry markup. They're going to send it directly to you, and they're going to offer you fifty percent off both the wine and the shipping. Double discount, both the wine and the shipping today. When you go to PatriotWine2021.com, that is PatriotWine2021.com. During today's overtime, we are going to discuss the this <laughs> study that shows. It's actually the people more likely to vote for Donald Trump that have done most of the vaccinating and the people who aren't, that have not. Okay. Um, I have some questions about the efficacy of the study itself. All right. But it it certainly flies in the face of the current uh, narrative, not news. We don't have that in America anymore. We just have narratives. Uh, we will discuss that today in the overtime for you. If you are a Blaze TV subscriber, good news. We're going to stick around after this show today, record it for you, then upload it so you may watch it on demand later on this website, blazetv.com slash days. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, though, and you want to listen in on that conversation and all of the other exclusive content that we do all of us the whole team here at blaze tv each day blaze tv.com slash days is also where you can go to get a discounted subscription so that you can watch today's overtime later today all right let's get to what uh, is included in aaron's montage and the biden white house i, I want to give both a political attaboy to governor ron DeSantis, but i want to give him a warning as well. Can I do that? Is that all right? Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you have his best interests at heart, I think. As long as he has my best interests at heart, yes. Yeah. The minute he no longer does, I don't. That's kind of how I roll, all right? So if and when the time comes that he screws us on something, I just want you to know I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to take it. And some of you will get all pissed off because, you know, that, that's the new shiny object. But by now, those the good thing is those numbers dwindle. More and more people are beginning to realize I, I just give zero bleeps. I don't care. I mean, I, I just don't have time for your pet politicians, ambitions, uh, calculations. Our way of life is at stake literally on a daily basis. I just need some people to do their damn jobs. You know, I mean, it, it, brutal honesty. Some of you may not remember this. There was a time a few years ago I went to war against Rand Paul world about making an alliance with Ditch McConnell. At this point, I'm about ready to grant Rand Paul potentate powers, okay? I'm, I haven't changed my standard. Nothing. It's just, here's the difference. Rand Paul's doing stuff that I not just find positive, almost downright heroic right now, okay? A few years ago, when he was making calculations, I didn't. Same standard, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have, I'm not here. We're not here for your calculations and your ambitions. 
You serve us. If you serve us, man, I'll do everything I can with every relationship I have, every platform I have to help and assist and, and promote you. But if you don't, it won't matter what you did on another issue 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago. If you're wrong on this and it matters and it's important, then we're not going to do those things. We're going to do the opposite of them. It's a very transactional process. Do, as the, as the great prophet Bill Belichick says, do your damned job. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, right now, I'm a pretty pro-DeSantis guy because he's doing his damn job. At the time that that changes, that occurs, I won't necessarily be pro-DeSantis at that moment. Fair? Fair. Okay. Um, he got a massive political gift from the White House yesterday. You know, one of the things that we I talk about in uh, Rules for Patriots and then I've advised my own causes or candidates that I've worked with uh, officially or unofficially is do not argue down. And I, I will do this today. Unless chances are, if you come at me and your Twitter following is smaller than mine, it might like by like an order of magnitude, I won't respond. Unless clearly doing so would help promote my message. Meaning you're providing me a launch point for the promotion of my own narrative. Other than that, though, no, some lefty comedian who was on Comedy Central once with his 19,000 followers wants to come at me. No, dog, I'm, I'm not your Huckleberry. I'm not with I got 10 times the following as that. And no, I'm not giving you a launch point to promote your lunacy. But thank you. I'm a big believer. In fact, this is something that we will discuss amongst ourselves and I do bring up quite a bit. Hey, this person said this about us. This person, what is usually one of the first things I'll bring up? Well, what kind of platform they have? What's their following, right? And, and this is where you guys get a little frustrated with me at times, to be perfectly honest, because I'm just, a, it's, it's not an absolute for me, but I'm, it's a pretty firm position. I don't argue down. I just don't do it. I don't have time for it. Now, if someone comes at me that has a substantial following, I'll do everything I can to respond to that. Because now they're arguing down to me and doing me a favor. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The White House elevating Ron DeSantis to essentially the face of the national opposition is a massive political favor. And you saw how quickly he turned it around to his favor with that messaging yesterday. See, the harder argument for Ron DeSantis is the one CNN actually offered up. That was an Aaron's montage. That's the harder argument. Not saying it's the better argument, but would you rather argue with the guy who's importing by the thousands illegal alien drug trafficking, uh, drug, uh, cocaine, meth mule, human traffickers with COVID and can't remember where he is half the time or the 12-year-old girl on CNN? What, what do you think any politician who would rather have, have the chance to, to face as an opponent? I hope the former is the answer. The, the answer is absolutely the former. Because you can do, you can take him to the woodshed as DeSantis did. You can't argue with the 12-year-old girl. That's why it's just best just to... Pretend it's not there. One of the few smart tactical plays that George W. Bush made in his presidency was never addressing Cindy Sheehan in, uh, directly. It was an unwinnable argument. That's why they used her. God rest his soul, but I think if Rush were here today and we gave him the Wonder Woman lasso of truth, he would tell you that the biggest mistake he made in his career was going after Sandra Fluck by name. 
because what changed is the all of how talk radio was billed and sold to advertisers all changed from that date. I know I heard it from one of Russia's senior uh, sales managers in a private meeting at a at a conference. He told us that right to our faces shortly thereafter. Sandra Fluck was dangled out there. Remember the woman pay for my birth control, right? She's she was dangled out there so that our heroes, our champions like Rush, would take the would take the bait, right? And argue against a single woman that they could then emo- emotionally turn around on us. And that was one of the few times, maybe ever, maybe the only time, frankly, in his illustrious career, that Rush probably walked right into a trap. And all of talk radio's ability to sell itself and market itself has never been the same since that moment. So it's not just pick your friends wisely, choose your enemies wisely, too. For the Biden White House to elevate Ron DeSantis as essentially the national face of the opposition. See, Ron DeSantis wants Chris Cuomo, I'm sorry, Andrew Cuomo, he wants him to stay in power for as long as possible. So does every Republican, by the way. And he would much rather argue against Joe Biden directly, the president, than Every isolated 11, 12-year-old little girl who's abused by her beta-matal dad into, into pagan indoctrination that they could probably find in any county, in a, any somewhat blue county in America, right? Yes. You don't, that's an unwinnable argument, so there's no point to even having it. And the way that Ron pounced on that yesterday, perfectly done. He recognized the opportunity he had and swung for the fences. Well done. And that's a gift. Be thankful for it. But let me provide for you a warning. Unless products, unless products that are not yet to market, a therapeutic prophylaxis that's not yet on the market or permitted on the market, maybe Novavax. Now, a lot of you have been asking me about Novavax for weeks or months, and I haven't brought it up much because its approval looked pretty stalled. In fact, there was a, a big financial article just last week that was urging people not to investors not to invest in Novavax stock as a future buy because they just analyzed the marketplace and didn't see any way they were going to get in the into the you know into the market by the end of the year. Well, yesterday there was a big change. The EU signed a massive contract deal with Novavax, so it's getting to some marketplace even if it doesn't get to ours. Now, what is Novavax? Novavax is the vaccine that Peter McCullough, the decorated cardiologist at Baylor University, who has been quite a fearless whistleblower for about the last year plus, came up with the first treatment guidelines for, for COVID when CDC would not provide any last year. This is the vaccine that he is, he is, he is promoting while looking at their human trials. Novavax is the closest we have to a traditional vaccine. It takes an inert nanoparticle. Now, it's still using cutting-edge technology because it's a nanoparticle, but it's an inert protein or sample of the virus itself in nanoparticle form. So it's the closest we've had yet to a traditional vaccine methodology. I still wouldn't, based on the research I've done, call it 100%. Which you're accustomed to with what you got when you were a kid, but it's a lot closer than the stuff you're seeing now. And Moderna just announced today, by the way, third booster shots are going to be needed by winter. If you're vaccinated with either Pfizer or Moderna, you just need to prepare yourself for the for the for the 
the, the likelihood that you're getting boosters reinjected on a routine, if not indefinite basis. Just come to that. Just, just make that part of your risk calculation. But unless that kind of a product gives us something in the future that we have yet to see or some form of prophylaxis is, is, a, is approved that shows efficacy from big pharma, then the DeSantis re-election campaign needs to prepare themselves for the likelihood that they will be at some variation of the political point they're at right now, again, at this point next year, when we have the next Sunbelt wave. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And maybe this year's Sunbelt wave is called Delta variant. Who knows what next year's Sunbelt wave will have, will be called, who knows what Greek letter or series of them we will be on. But you guys need to be prepared for this. Because when we start getting into things going down in August and Labor Day, Election day ain't too far away. Now, <laughs> let me give you some advice that would even be ballsy by DeSantis standards to take. You ready for this? What DeSantis needs to do, in my opinion, to prepare himself for this, help prepare yourself for the idea they'll just create a Florida variant. I've told, remember, I've said for the last year on this show, the most important election next year according to the other side, is getting rid of him, right? He has to go. Yeah. He, I mean, he created America, American Sweden. They can, lie, they can hide what's going on in our home state of Iowa. We've been actually freer than Florida and longer. But they can, they can hide us. We just got 3 million people in the middle of nowhere on I-80, right? They can forget about us. You can't hide Florida, right? right. Can't hide all the people moving from New York to Florida. Can't hide that. So he's got to go. If, if I were in DeSantis's team... I'd be contemplating looking at people like Dr. I think it's Peter Corey. Is he the guy that just spoke to the Senate about ivermectin? Is that his name? Can you guys look that up for me, please? I think it was just a few days ago, actually. I think it's Peter Corey with a K. But just as Ron DeSantis went out there and created his own information ecosystem with Scott Atlas, Martin Koldorf, the guy from Stanford whose name I can, the other guy from Stanford I can never pronounce. What is it? Jay what, Aaron? Uh, Bhattacharya. Why can you always pronounce that? I never can. Thank you. All right. Um, DeSantis did good work and his team did good work giving those men platforms with their credentials to provide him the academic and, and intellectual cover to push back on COVID stand. I have a Dr. Pierre Corey. Pierre Corey. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. If I'm in, doc- if I'm in Ron DeSantis's office, I need to be prepared for Sunbelt Wave... Point, uh, tr- point three, part three, this time next year. Except this time next year is going to be like less than 100 days before I have a reelect. Know what I'm saying? So here's what I would urge you to do. Just as you went and got contrary experts to push back on lockdowns and masks, go get contrary experts to push back on ivermectin. I'm, I'm sorry to say this. It's unfortunate. I, hydroxychloroquine has been too bastardized now. I, I, don't, I don't think we can do anything to, to make, it in, make that back into the mainstream. But ivermectin did just win a Nobel Prize in 2015. You've got Senate testimony here from Dr. Pierre Corey. Just as we had congressional testimony last year from Dr. Peter McCullough on why we need treatment guidelines, right? So if I'm in Ron DeSantis's office... 
I have, I have to come up with something for the next wave that will be right within 100 days of my reelect. And I have to come up with, and I'm probably going to have to come up with something. I've already got the votes of everybody who's moved by lockdowns are bad, evil, and masks don't work. I've already got all those votes, right? I got all those votes. What about people, though, who agree that lockdowns are bad and masks are evil until they get panicked by rising cases or whatever the the panic porn? I'm going to need some of those votes, right? Sure. There's just not enough, not in Florida anyway, the classic swing state. There's just not enough of lockdowns are immoral, masks don't work, I don't care what CNN says. There's not enough of those voters to win a reelect next year in that state. There's not. You're going to need some of the voters who agree with you when things are good, that lockdowns are bad and masks don't work, but aren't so sure what they think when things are bad, right? Yes. They're going to need some of those voters. And you need a, you need a message other than the, the, the very principled constitutional position. Because that won't work when people think there's a problem. You need a solution to their problem. Solutions trump values. I've said that a lot in recent years. Solutions trump values in our current political environment. You need a solution for them. You need to use your platform and now start getting people like Pierre Corey to do, and Peter McCullough and others, what you had, what you had contrary experts do for you on lockdowns and masks. You need to do that now with ivermectin as a treatment, as an early prophylaxis in Florida. So that you have a counter treatment, a counter solution to we're not we're not doing unconstitutional things. You need a counter solution. Just my advice from someone who is is, is was honored to have you endorse the front cover of my book and has been more than an admirer in the last year. Take it or leave it. So I got your best interest at our here, brother. More in a moment. You know, not so long ago, companies existed just to provide products and services. Now they are evangelists for the spirit of the age. They are open promoters, not just the old-fashioned, well, we're just putting this out there so Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton will stop shaking us down. Oh, no, they are now, Stanley, true believers uh, in the church of woke. So when you have an opportunity, and you don't get it very often, I mean, the idea that you're just never, ever going to fund something that doesn't agree with you in a pluralistic society, particularly one that is becoming increasingly post-Christian as ours, it's just not realistic. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, they did business with somebody that you don't like and doesn't like you. So when you know that you affirmatively, though, can do business with somebody that appreciates and promotes your values, take full advantage, like in the case of Patriot Mobile. They have, they have the same nationwide coverage because they use all the same towers as the major carriers, and you're going to get the same great service plus fans or plans to fit any a budget and 100% U.S.-based customer service as well. And again, they share your values. They support organizations that fight for the Constitution, religious freedom. They offer extra discounts to veterans and first responders. Right now, you can go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve or call 972-PATRIOT and get a free activation with the offer code Steve. And they've got all kinds of plans and deals that you can take advantage of as well. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve or give them a call at 972-PATRIOT. The name of the book, Christianity and Wokeness, 
how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel and the way to stop it. The author, Owen Strand, joins us here on the program. And Owen, it has been way too long since we've had you on this show, brother. How you been? Uh, I'm so thankful you have me back. I've been well, and I'm thankful for your stand and your courage on these issues, even what you just said. Uh, Same to you as well. And let's start with a rather obvious question. Other than everything, what reason did you choose to write this book and address this topic? Everything. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Fundamentally, I saw that wokeness was infiltrating the society. The state of woke is being awake to the nature of systemic racism and inequality in a society. And so I saw that wokeness was infiltrating our society at all levels, as you and others have covered, Christopher Rufo and others. And then, especially as a theologian teaching in Arkansas at a seminary, Grace Bible Theological Seminary, my particular burden in the book and in my broader ministry is to answer wokeness as it seeks to come into the church, Colossians 2.8, because it is a godless ideology that is taking people captive. And I don't exactly know why, Steve, but there are very, very few preachers and teachers of the word of God who are responding to this, who are even trying to. And so I'm no hero for the ages, but I thought I'm going to try to get equipped. Uh, Like a lot of people out there, I hadn't read critical race theory in years past. I didn't really know what it was. I hadn't read critical legal studies. But in the last few years, uh, out of a burden to uh, uh, teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it, Titus 1.9, I tried to get up to speed and then give an answer, a gospel-shaped answer to this godless ideology. You know, a few years ago, before the, the the term woke or intersectionality became kind of uh, mainstream, I began making an observation about pastors and, and, and our generation, who are basically now the men that are taking over the pulpits. Yep. And on one hand, I'm thankful that they don't have much of a lust to be the next Ralph Reed. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't need any more, any more of that. You know, mm-hmm. we don't need any more uh, mascots for a political party that almost never delivers for us unless we point bazookas at its head. Right. Right. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but it now seems as if though we've exchanged one false choice for another, that like the only way the church could really impact society is to get everybody with a last name Bush and an R after their name elected to public office. It now seems as if we've gone the other way, which is we now don't want to deal with things that are direct, directly challenging the church as a cornerstone of society because they may be manifested with a political message. And so we don't want to get our, we don't want to engage the arena at all. And I have pointed out to a lot of the, a lot of pastors I know around the country progressivism is not a political ideology okay it is a religion all right now it is now because it is a from a secular bent it doesn't necessarily come in the form of a of a caliph or a sheikh uh or you know a false prophet okay it it doesn't have an ecclesiastical um you know origin but make no mistake, what it's offering is a rival ecclesiology. It's a rival theology where the government is God. The state replaces the church as the primary institution of determining what is right and wrong. And on and on it goes. It's full intent. You know, we can argue in the church we have for years about replacement theology or dispensation. This is a replacement theology. It is yes. here to replace you. And to yes. just say because it's primarily manifested in, in a political party, 
one of one in particular, you don't want to address it because it makes you look like a partisan animal. It's like doing evangelism in a in a in a in a tribal area, and yes. and never addressing the fact that that the tribal shaman that everybody goes to is still the primary messenger of a rival religion. You can't win if you do not confront. At some point, Saint Boniface has to take the axe to the Odin tree here, right? Okay, yep. so. Now it's now it's just called wokeness, but it's the same exact scam. Owen, your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. The strong gods are here and people don't know in the church that they are not only able to give an answer to cultural ideologies, uh, beliefs in the public square, so on and so forth, but we're actually called to do so. Just because an issue is classed under politics or political issue or public square matter does not mean that the church avoids it. Uh, puts on its lily white boots and never gets any mud on them. Actually, if you look at the example of John the Baptist, who was commissioned to call people to see that the Messiah was on the ground, you see in Matthew 14, 1 through 12, that he was beheaded Mm -hmm. for calling out sexual sin in public on the part of, of the ruler, Herod. And so John the Baptist lost his head, not because of telling Jews about the Messiah. That was plenty controversial enough. John the Baptist was beheaded because he dared to call out sin in public. And that is a, that's a model for us, Steve. Of course, the pulpit is not supposed to be politicized. Of course, we don't want the church to be seen as just another political action group or something like this political advocacy group. But that also doesn't mean that we uh, use the mantra, the church is neither left nor right. The gospel is neither left nor right. What we have to do is we have to give an answer to ideologies. We have to, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6, destroy the strongholds that are seeking to take Christians captive, and then we have to answer them with a full-fledged biblical worldview. So you do not have an opt-out card because something is classed under political issues if you are a preacher, if you are a teacher of the Word of God. Of course, you're probably not going to do a seven-week series on best recycling practices in your community. You know, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to probably steer clear of some things and not try to get too granular in the pulpit. We get that, and we want to push for unity. But fundamentally, when you have imperial ideologies like wokeness out there that are teaching white people that they are white supremacists, that are teaching the little kids in your congregation who sit under your ministry every week that they, the little white ones, that they are oppressing fundamentally uh, little uh, children of color in the congregation just in a structural sense, you have a crisis on your hands in ideological terms, and you have to respond to this ideology and equip your people and refute it for the glory of God. Very well said, Owen. What is, what's the biggest lie the Bible, ex- a biblical worldview exposes about wokeness? It exposes the idea that uh, white people are especially condemned. What wokeness does is it places white people uh, built off of race essentialism in the penalty box. It tells white people that they are especially guilty for sin by virtue of the American past, the system of slavery and Jim Crow and segregation, real evils, of course, uh, that we decry rightly. But what wokeness does is it pays that forward. And it says, see, that's the sin of your ancestors. And it's your sin, too. You may never have done anything racist or said anything racist. But you, by virtue of being part of the white power structure and racial terms in this country, are part of the oppressor class. You can't change that. You can't overcome it. We have all the exits covered. You are not getting out of this. You are a racist. And by the way, if you then deny that you are a racist, per someone like Robin DiAngelo, whose book White Fragility is seemingly just one awkward encounter to another of 
poor white people who are told for no justification at all that they are racist, that kind of ideology is entrapping people in the church. And tragically, pastors who have no such mandate from the word of God, who have no summons from God in his word to tell white people that they are white supremacists or they are especially sinful by virtue of their skin color, are doing just that. And that is that is not just not the gospel, Steve. That is anti-gospel. I think that's important. That's an important distinction. You know, in, in recent years, I pointed out on a political level, we've gone from debating what is the general welfare clause of the Constitution mean, and people of good conscience could have different interpretations of that, and what is constitutional and unconstitutional, and now we've devolved to legislation that seems is actually anti-constitutional. Its full intent is to undermine the schema of the Constitution itself. Likewise, um, we have struggled for unity uh, for 2,000 years in the church. There are various positions on on even some essential theological matters, like the return of Christ, for example, okay? Mm -hmm. But there's things that we can debate are those things False teaching, proper teaching, rightly divided, and then there's just flat-out heresy. There's just flat-out an attempt, right? I mean, Arminius and Calvin can have their argument. When Pelagius comes along, that's just a flat-out heresy. All right? He is denying the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. That, this, this, is a, this is a deception that both the Arminians and the Calvinists need to say, we'll get back to killing each other later. We got to take this guy out first, right? Well and that's well what I kind of see wokeness pre- presenting here. And so maybe it even provi- presents us an opportunity here, Owen. Oh, it definitely presents us an opportunity to declare the truth and to recognize that, yes, for some years in the Christian church and different denominations, we have been separating over matters that are debatable, that maybe we shouldn't have been separating over, or at the very least, we shouldn't have been anathematizing one another. But this is a chance to recognize uh, we have a major foe here. I, I don't think even to this minute, Steve, people understand just how troubling this ideology is. This is Marxism with a racialized mm-hmm. spin. Mm-hmm. And if you want to forward it a little- With no forgiveness is, offered. With no, no forgiveness. No, 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 even, even the most fundamentalist Baptist of, of, agrees that the blood of Jesus at some point will cover yes. your sins. All right, there is no forgiveness here. There is no atonement. It's just a, con- it's just a continued reminder of your unworthiness. Yes, it is, it is an ideology trap. It really is, and it has no way forward. It, it tells us these tenets are anti-racism. This is the way to kill racism. This is the way to overcome it. The opposite is the case, Steve. This is neo-racism. The older form of racism in America said that black people or people of color were inferior for the color of their skin, and that was, that was fallacious. That was biblically untrue to the max. The new form, though, of racism is as abhorrent. It tells us that white people uh, are racist by nature and it entraps them. And we need to be very clear that this ideology has no place in the church, that uh, this is anti-gospel, that this is not going to help the church. This is not the way forward on racism. Just like, did anybody notice what the program of Black Lives Matter and Antifa were last year, a summer ago, as our cities were put to the torch? Did that yield did that yield uh, unity mm-hmm. in the public square? Did that yield oneness and togetherness? No, it absolutely did not. That is a living picture of what this system does. It represents the burning down of unity and order 
and oneness. And we as Christians, we care about the public square. We care about society greatly. We should. We should love neighbor. We should be like John the Baptist, as I mentioned earlier, and speak truth in public. But we especially have a burden to strengthen and protect the local church. But there are many shepherds sleeping on their watch, intentionally lying in their cot in the basement when the enemy is at the wall. And it is time for, for Christians to speak up on this issue, not because we're, we're angry at flesh and blood, but because if this gets into your local church, it will divide your people. It will entrap people. And it will, it will really muzzle the gospel mm-hmm. and the promise of forgiveness, the promise that we're all one, Ephesians 2, in Christ. What's more precious than that? And can you think of a being out there that might author a rival religion that offers constant, only constant accusation mm-hmm. without ever any salvation? Can you mm-hmm. is any can you think of anybody out there that that would like kind of fit their mo? Maybe this might can, be like right down there, right down the you know their wheelhouse. Yeah, rhymes with Baton. Uh, yeah, I can <laughs> I can think of that, um, and I and I can recognize that that ideology that is introduced in the Garden of Eden, a real historical garden with a real historical Adam and a real historical fall, recurs throughout history. Satan doesn't go away, does he? after the garden satan recurs satan re-racks the greatest hits album yes that's what he does yes absolutely yeah. so he he is doing that today he did that with marx in the late 19th century he did it in the middle 20th century with uh, cultural marxism the frankfurt school and others who had a tremendous influence in europe though many folks don't even know them to this day and he's doing it today with racialized neo-marxism which is nothing other than the targeting of western civilization and the church beyond it and so Christians need to have a burden for the church. Many of them know that. They also should care, I'm so glad you do, Steve, about Western civilization. Mm -hmm. It's not the ultimate, but just because it's not the ultimate thing we're trying to preserve doesn't mean it's nothing. It is something, and it is vital that we speak up in this time. So you can see he's packing a wall up here, folks. You want to get the book, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is hijacking the gospel and the way to stop it. Owen, it's been a pleasure. We will not wait this long before we have you back again. All right, I promise. Thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate you. You bet, man. Guys, you have any thoughts on the conversation we just had with Owen Strand? It's a PhD version of what my sister now, and I've informed you a little while back, that has now uh, adopted uh, three black children of elementary uh, and middle school age, that she is fighting on a regular basis, um, you know, they, they are in a uh, su- uh, sub- large suburb in Wisconsin, constantly having to deal with deprogramming, uh, mm-hmm. so that they don't come to believe because their very family is an is an anathema, is exactly. a rejection of a living rejection of of what of this indoctrination. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think wokeism within the church thrives in the shadows, which is why it is so essential. That preachers and teachers of the word within our churches, the pastors, shine the light on the cockroaches, on the cockroach that is wokeism and wokeness within the within the church, because that's where it really is thriving. Whether it's by uh, outward, you know, inculcation that people are are bringing into the the church and not having that challenged, or whether it's just subversive. Well, it's just flat-out subversiveness within the church. It is incredibly important that pastors shine the light on that. Not saying, uh, along the lines of what Owen said, not saying that you have to have a seven-week series on, you know, what the optimal speed limit should be in your local city, on your local highways, but the essential issues of our time, that's what you have to be talking about, at least a little bit within your church. 
So let's talk about him some more when we come back for Theology Thursday. Let's tackle a simple yet not easy question. What is the church? We'll take our best stab at it next. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre. And all of you, let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can uh, access that by emailing the program, steve at stevedace.com, and the last name is D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Gab, Parlor, and Getter, G-E-T-T-R. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, and then you can also look for clips of the show that you will be able to watch for free and free of censorship at rumble.com slash Steve Day Show as well. Uh, if you're a podcast listener, we could not thank you enough. Uh, you have played a vital role in the uh, success and growth of this show in the last year and a half. Please, if you've not yet done so, uh, hit the five-star review for us, please, and uh, as well as the subscribe and follow button. The more of you that do that, the more you continue to contribute to our show's growth, and we want to thank all of you that have done either or both of those things for us already. Uh, Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll get into three non-political questions. But first, are you ready for the next big crisis? Who knows uh, when the next time it couldn't happen here happens. Hyperinflation, anyone? Um, Because, you know, we don't have any inflation worries right now in the country, right? uh, We just have some of the, according to some metrics, the worst battles with inflation we have had in over 30 years. Um, So that's why you want to make sure with our friends at My My Patriot Supply, you're ready. Because the next time it might not be TP for the bunghole, Beavis, and it might not be uh, hand sanitizer. It might be food and water. All right. 25 years it will last with proper storage. That's the four week food kit from our friends at My Patriot Supply. Over 41,000 four and five star reviews for a company that's barely a decade old. All right. If you want to take advantage of this plan, 2,000 calories per day, so that you'll know you're ready in case. It couldn't happen here, happens. And it'll get delivered discreetly to your door, right? They won't like show up in a doom prepper van, you know, all your neighbors to see, okay? So if you want to take advantage, 25% off their four-week food kit, go to preparewithdace.com. Preparewithdace.com, D-E-A-C-E, preparewithdace.com. So let's get to Theology Thursday. And on our show, really from the very beginning of this show, when it was just a local program, We talked a lot about the need for the church to engage the culture, that a lot of the issues we are facing, you know, I've been at this now full time for over 15 years, and pretty much every issue we're facing, even hyperinflation, why are we in a position of hyperinflation? What is the proper role of government? What's the proper role of a family? What's the proper role of a church? who determines those spheres of authority? Have they been determined? Has anybody set those boundaries? Has anything, any being set those boundaries in the past? Even an issue like that, given what is causing it, the need or the the perceived need to give people bailouts because of COVID stan, I would argue that's even a theological issue. Everything I've talked about on this show, just about everything, 
probably is an issue that could be addressed from a pulpit. And ultimately, it's a line that's often been attributed to de Tocqueville. We haven't really been able to find if he actually said it or if we just think he said he said it because Eisenhower once said that he said it and that just became a very popular quote. It might have been Dwight Eisenhower saying it himself, but maybe it wasn't de Tocqueville. But it was the idea that America was great because she is good. And that that goodness stemmed from pulpits that were ablaze with righteousness and talk of liberty. The liberty found in Christ. And therefore, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. If I am free of the wrath of God, why should I face the wrath of the state? In fact, those who occupy the state need to be saved from the wrath of God every bit as much as me. But we probably have been derelict in not defining what is the church on our show, right? It kind of seems as if, if, if we're going to call upon an institution to step into a leadership role, we should have a working definition of what that institution is. So for Theology Thursday this week, I'm going to take my best stab at it. I'm going to attempt to answer the question, what is the church? Now, the word we translate as church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which is also where we get our words translated as ecclesiastical or ecclesiology. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, or what Christians refer to as the Old Testament, um, and in the New Testament both, it has often two meanings. First, it's referred to as an assembly. Second, it means to be called out or called forth by God or from God. In other words, the strictest theological meaning of the term would be, quote, an assembly called out or called forth by God. Now, this explains why the church is not a mere building, but a gathering of believers regardless of the physical structure they belong to or the lack thereof. However, in the native Greek, which the word is borrowed from, the word ecclesia had another meaning as well. That meaning was an assembly for determining legal, political, or civic matters or disputes. Now, before we proceed here, I want to make one thing very clear. All right? Salvation is by grace alone. I want to repeat that. Salvation is by grace alone. We did our series on the Protestant Reformation's 500th anniversary a few years ago. Todd and I went through and looked at the five solas of the Reformation from a Catholic and Protestant perspective. In the two, there's there's some disagreement on justification by faith alone. Uh, there is real, even more substantive disagreement on sola scriptura, right? But one of them we did not disagree on was salvation by grace alone through Christ. That's sola Christos. That's the only atonement that satisf- satisfies the wrath of God. We do not disagree uh, over that one. Okay, so I'll say it again. Salvation is by grace alone. And one more time for the folks in the back. 
Okay? Uh, Salvation is by grace alone. The simplicity of the gospel is for those who are called or believe that Christ died once and for all for their sins, and no other sacrifice will satisfy the wrath of God. And that is it. That is the gospel message. We should not complicate or pollute the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. However, the title of this message is not, what's the gospel? The title of this message is, what is the church? So, with the gospel set apart, in his great commission, Christ commands his followers to, quote, disciple the nations. He doesn't say to merely evangelize them. He says to disciple them. Disciple is where we get the root word of discipline. In other words, once salvation comes, we are then called to model a new discipline to the world, a new way of living, civilizing, of culturing. Let's look at a marriage as an example. Nothing in a marriage is more important than the day of the event itself. Without the ceremony, you're not married. That's the event. That's the event that, now it can take a lot of different means, a justice of the peace, you know, an ordained family friend, but at some point in time, there was an agreed upon beginning of this covenant, right? right. That this is when it began, all right? Um, the event itself is the primary expression of that commitment or covenant. It is the day that covenant is sealed. Yet, while that is the day that covenant is sealed, it is not the day the covenant is completed. Let me repeat that. While that is the day the covenant is sealed, it is not the day the covenant is completed. The expectation is that you will grow in love and relationship with one another, that you will finish further in loving the other and better than where you started. That you are further and better as the years go by than you were the day of the marriage event itself. Yes, the marriage event itself sealed your covenant, but it did not complete it. The discipline required to keep those vows must now be lived out over time. And the expectation is that you will do so. Otherwise, you wouldn't have sealed the covenant on that marriage day, right? That doesn't necessarily mean you have broken your covenant if you just coast from there. Plenty of times people persevere in unhappy and unfulfilled marriages for various reasons, and some of them are principled. Hey, I made a commitment to God. I won't break it. Or we are going to stay together for the children, and the well-being for them is better than my own. But you didn't seal that covenant on the wedding day with the expectation of not completing it. You did so with the hope for the future. That this was the beginning of the best years of your life, right? That's why you did it. Not that, 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 it, not that this would be as good as it would get. Similarly, it is our salvation that seals us to God through Christ. Period. End of sentence, as we've already, we've already established that. Period. Okay? However, are you merely saved from your sins? Yes, you are. And that is the prime directive. But is that the only one? Is that the only one? 
Does God have no other hope for this relationship? Do you? And if you have no other hope for it, but to continue wallowing in the sinfulness you were in prior to salvation, doesn't God have a right to question your commitment to this relationship? Similar to how a wife or a husband would question the commitment of their spouse if they never grew in the relationship. Paul lists the stations of the church in Ephesians 4, verse 11. He says, quote, And he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. End quote. Notice that shepherds or pastors, they are given a separate station from evangelists. They are not the same station. Now, that doesn't mean a pastor should never evangelize. After all, the first step of discipleship is salvation, right? Is it, though, the only step of discipleship? Does the discipleship end at salvation? No. No, it's just beginning. Just like your marriage didn't end on the wedding day. It's just beginning. But a pastor in his church should not merely evangelize. The pastor, and thus his church, has a distinct role to play to equip the, saint, the saints beyond mere evangelism. Now equip us for what? For discipling the nations. The Great Commission. So let's go back to that word ecclesia once more now. And maybe with a better understanding of its full context. I want to argue that the fullest definition of the word is also the fullest answer to the question, what is the church? And that is this. A church is a gathering of believers called out or called, called forth by God for the purposes of discipling the nations according to the teachings of Jesus Christ, whether that be individually, in the family, or the broader culture. Evangelism is the first step to any discipleship, yes, but it is not the only or even the final step, and no church should treat it as such. Any church not doing this, or some variation of this, I'm not here to say that my definition is the only one. It's the best I can do. But any church that is not moving people beyond salvation into maturity, that is not discipling the nation, whether you agree with my definition or think it's on point or could do one better, if you're not moving people beyond salvation in that first step, you are not fulfilling your mission as a church, period. That I will say definitively, based on the authority of the scriptures and our Lord himself. The reason our culture is in the condition it's in, despite over 70% of Americans claiming to be Christians, is because we don't have 70% of our churches discipling either us or this culture. Now, Aaron got a look at this rundown ahead of time so he could present it to you visually. On purpose, Todd, I did not share it with you because I wanted at least one of you to react to it in real time, similar to the audience. So I thought if we had one of you that saw it and the other that did not, that would give us a pretty good cross-section of a post-layout conversation. So now, gentlemen, I have made my point. The floor is yours. You may um, have questions, comments, or insults. Aaron, I think you go first. Let me riff off the both of you since you had a chance to let this germinate with you. I think it's, I think it's definitely an important thing because it is a little bit, um, I don't know if paradoxical is the right word, because the church is um, 
is the local body of believers because that is part of the of the uh, universal body of of Christ. But I think we get bogged down. I'm doing church, or I am a part of the church, because the the, the function of the church on a personal basis. Sometimes we get confused with the function of the church on a universal basis as well. So I think it's, it's important to, uh, distinction um, to draw there. But even more important than that distinction is what you were talking about at the very end. There are way too many churches who have fire and brimstone, and I'm going to be brutally honest here because I wasn't being before. I'm going to be brutally honest here. There are a lot of churches out there who have amazing pastors, gifted teachers of the word, preaching fire and brimstone, preaching articulately, the word of God rightly divided every single morning. And I'm talking about every single Sunday morning. And I'm talking about local churches here, the church building here. Do not take people from the first step of evangelism to something more deep, like being a disciple and being a, a, a disciplined follower of Jesus. You can have, I've seen this with my own eyes, you can have one, but not necessarily the other. I don't think you can have, I don't think you can have a discipling church without the first one, without good teaching and uh, of the word, rightly divided, but I do think you can have good teaching without discipleship. That, that goes part and parcel, really, to what we were talking about just before with Owen Strawn. Strand, I'm sorry. With Owen Strand, about the, 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 the proliferation of wokeness within the church. The reason that's happening is because there's not a lot of disciples in the church, even some of the great churches out there. I'm telling you, folks, if you're not a part of, of, a, of a body of believers, and we can get into a can of worms called progressive sanctification, but basically that means, and stop me, correct me if I'm wrong here, basically that means in my walk as a Christian, I can look back at a point in my life before now and say, you know what, I still struggle with this sin, but it's not as bad as it was by the grace of God. That's basically what progressive sanctification uh, is if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. If you're not, if if you're in a body of believers and you can't say that over a period of two, three, four years, or maybe even six months, to some degree, your church is not discipling you, or maybe you're not, maybe you're not receptive to it. Maybe it's a personal problem. But if it's not actively, if there are not people, individuals you know by name and know their lives, who are keeping you accountable. That, that's an example of, of the lack of discipleship there. And I think that's a, a key part of this conversation. Uh, the breakdown of the uh, definition specifically into its two fundamental parts uh, should and uh, would make any uh, Catholic worth his or her salt swoon uh, because the gathering aspect of things, is there anything, uh, when it comes down to an actual place i mean catholics are all you know the the architecture the stained glass the smells the bells the things like that whereas you know uh m more protestants uh, uh certainly of a very con uh conservative uh churches 
are you know build the the prefab building made it meet in a school something like that it's it's far more negotiable so the the gathering place obviously is very definitive in the catholic sensibility but we within that actual structure that facility we catholics go to mass and that is the other side of the definition steve gave you but to translate it that is a a a, a going forth that is the definition of the term you have heard the truth now go forth so you you nailed it on that front and no catholic would have a quarrel with that as for everything else in its totality based on the creed and i and catholics all catholics uh, recite every sunday to to flesh it out further the next step the the to uh to road test all of that would be to see one holy catholic and apostolic how does it bear scrutiny both theoretically philosophically and in practice that's my first reaction i think that's that's the that's the challenge that the church has had from the very beginning is how to do that what does that look like and is it is it is it a right theology that produces that or is it righteous living that leads to a right theology and i think at times the answer to that question is probably yes that i think in general theology is what produces the fruit in our lives what we think about all day long and the way we think about it we will eventually become right that um my worldview creates my beliefs. My beliefs will dictate my thoughts, actions, emotions, behaviors in any given situation. And then those thoughts, actions, emotions, behaviors will be what will ultimately testify to people around me, what is my worldview? And that's kind of the, the circle of mm-hmm. belief in, a, in, in every human mind. But if I, if I continually succumb to a particular sin to the or sin pattern to the point that I'm not wrestling with it in my conscience anymore, but I am now satisfied with this practice and merging it with my faith. Will that could that also alter my belief system from the from the outside in? Yes. And I think the answer to that question is yes. And I think you see this when you find out later on you know, hey, why did so-and-so go soft on this issue on us or what have you? And then you find out so-and-so later on, you know, their kid got an abortion and they, you know, I mean, because our, we we want to see, here's the thing that, that the gospel challenges us on more than I think anything. That we're sinners. See, I don't, I don't think people are nearly as offended by the idea that Christ died for sinners as they are Christ died for your sins. I don't think people are nearly as offended by the idea that human nature has fallen as much as they are your nature has fallen. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that people need, all people need a savior. No, well, you need one. I, I think it confronts us with the holiness of God. And just like that, that first reaction from Adam and Eve to cover themselves, to hide. The shame. We hate the shame. Mm 
We will, and so we will, we will, when we, when we become shameless, we will then just create an alternative theory or man or, or theology in order to justify something that we didn't want to admit was wrong or evil that either we or someone we cared about did. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is one of, one of the real challenges of discipleship is what you just, is, is that, that entanglement that you just articulated. You want to respond to that first? Well, I, I totally agree. One of the great awakenings in my adult faith was making that ever more present because you go to mass, Sunday best, get get dressed up a little bit to some extent, at least quite quite a few people do. Uh, and, and then you get together afterwards for donuts and coffee. And you if you you can really easily lose in the modern Christian sensibility the fact that this this place you're in is a hospital mm-hmm. for sinners. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally, and that, it, I'm just some kind of a gathering, yeah, social I, gathering. Personally, yeah. as it applies to Catholic confession, and can we set aside the theological differences for a second about what you believe to be efficacy or not? But I had this. You, when you go into confession, many of you've seen movies with confession, and you you uh, kneel behind the screen, but you can also go in front of the priest directly and talk to, to talk to them one on one, so that they can see your face. And I was, uh, as a young adult Christian, I was very, I took my pride with me into that confessional. And I thought like I had graduated once I had the courage to face the priest eye to eye. Mm-hmm. And I realized at some point, I don't, I, it was, I had that totally wrong, it, utterly wrong. It's, it wasn't, it wasn't any, it, that was me. That was my ego. That was my yes. pride. Yes. I'm supposed to bring my shame yes. into there and be released from that. And let me tell you, as a, to 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 pour that out and then to be told eye to eye or not that son, your sins are forgiven. It's a it's a powerful powerful thing. And I know other you in the Protestant realm, even if not in the formal sense, have felt that when you've kind of Steve's story at um, Promise Keepers. My goodness. Same, yeah. same kind of thing, but I had it totally wrong. Do it in front of them eye to eye, do it behind the screen. But this, I, I had elevated myself within there thinking that I had somehow like, now we're going to do this the grown up adulting version of confessing sins. No, yeah. no, come in as a child. Because if we don't understand, you're right what you just said about, and it goes right along with the point I made even prior that the, the the aversion we have to shame. And if we don't own up to that and allow God to release us from that, then eventually our consciences will become seared and we will become shameless yes. because we won't want to wrestle with the shame any longer. And so I'm no longer struggling with same-sex attraction. I'm now a gay Christian. Yes. Okay. And I, I just, I, I, I just, God po- couldn't possibly deliver me from this. And frankly, I'm tired of wrestling with it. So I just, I just create a new classification shamelessly because I just can't do the math in my, on my own with the shame anymore. And that's the paradox. No, you can't do the math with your shame mm-hmm. ever. Yes. You never could do it. That's why Christ went to the cross, despising, scorning the shame. Okay. That, that's, that, that's, 
what was at stake. And this gets into a cultural application as well. The idea that no, no successful missionary has ever shown up in a place where paganism was rife in a culture and just planted a tent and preached the gospel and never addressed what was the primary religious expression that the people were here to pre or heretofore previously disposed of and just said, hey, we're just going to sit over here, preach the gospel, and, you know, then it'll just happen. No one's ever done that. In the history of the church, how did, how did, where did the Druids go? Where did the Norse mythology go? Where did these things go? They were confronted by Christianity and theologically conquered. That's where they went. We're the ultimate urban renewal program. And what's going on right now is we've got all kinds of churches planted in cities in America that that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're planting their flag on, we're just evangelizing, here's the gospel, here's the gospel, here's the gospel, and then we'll address nothing that you will now, after Sunday, go out and wrestle with the rest of the week that will vie for your attention and your affections. We just won't do that because that's where, the, that's where the, the ranks get thinned is when you start doing that, folks. That's when the herd starts getting cold, right? Yeah. And so, and, and so it's the same thing. Because we won't confront on a cultural level what is shaming us as a people. We're just incentivizing a, a cultural level of shamelessness. It's the same calculus on a broader scale we were just discussing individually. Yes, it is. Amen. We'll come back. Three non-political questions are next. So just how much equity do you have in your home? Well, chances are, if it's a significant amount, cyber thieves may know because right now they are trolling the internet looking for homes that look like they could be of high value vis-a-vis -vis high equity because that's where our home titles are kept online. They can then use some personal information maybe they've acquired about you, courtesy of a, you know, a recent Facebook data breach, for example. Might be a middle name, initial, maiden name, what elementary school you went to. You know, the kind of stuff that you said, hey, this is the test to give me if I lose my password so I can do a password retrieval. I know the answer to this. Now, they know that answer. They log on to where your home's title is kept as you. Make it look like you sold your home to them. They, they then liquidate all of that equity and stick you with late payments, foreclosure notices, a loss of all that equity, your investment. Don't let that happen to you. It is called home title theft. And our friends at Home Title Lock want to do their darndest to make sure it does not. Go there today, right now, at HomeTitleLock.com. And for free, you can get what's called a title history of your home to make sure it hasn't been tampered with, no one's attempted to, and everything remains clean and rightfully yours. Normally, that's a $100 value. It is free today when you go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. It's time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Real, real quick, can I just butt in, Aaron? There's some breaking news. You guys are going to love this shot and Freud. I'm sorry. If it wasn't worth it, I would not have done this. Sure. Okay. The Florida Department of Education. Have you, so you saw this too? Yes. Okay. 
the Florida Department of Education is working with parents on trying to create a mechanism by which they can move their child out of a school district that will not violate the governor's executive order and impose masks and into a school district that does if they are concerned about their child's safety. What does that sound like? School choice. Yeah, school choice to own the cons. Their solution is, their solution to Santa saying we're not going to choke out our kids is school choice. If you insist, I, you, you drive a hard bargain, <laughs> but I suppose we'll allow it. Now, Aaron, go ahead. Uh, yes, three non-political questions. The operative phrase in that intro you just heard a few moments ago, some better than other. Question number one, would you rather win a Marconi, an Emmy, or an Academy Award? Which ceremony would you most want to attend? So the question is then which ceremony we'd most want to attend? Nope. Two different questions. Two different questions. Okay. Um, I'd probably choose Academy Award for both. Uh, I, I think pop culture in particular is the most influential platform in America. And I think movies are the most influential platform within popular culture. Uh, and certainly the most politically active. And if y'all loved what Ricky Gervais had to say to that audience a few years ago, where did they get a load of me? I will bring you the mother of all acceptance speeches. So the opportunity to do that, the opportunity to spike the ball in the enemy's end zone, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take that one. Todd? I did not necessarily see that coming, although after listening to your answer, it's not that it's unsound, but you you haven't watched the Oscars in, like, forever, whereas nope. I, gave, I gave up on it. I don't watch any award shows five, at all. Five, six but, yeah. years ago. <clears throat> Boy, I this would have been easy five, six years ago. I would have at least, I would have said the Oscars probably for both, but I, I don't think I would anymore. Uh, you know, uh, the Emmys have very... Television has very much caught up uh now that it's uh uh, cable streaming uh the quality of the programming the epic nature i mean heck isn't it isn't aren't we just months away from the lord of the rings television sometimes next year year. although it's getting to be late this year so yeah Yeah. i guess if it's like february that is just what six months away is it february i thought it was september i don't know what month next year it is i just know it's next year yeah yeah so i think i might say the maybe an emmy for an award but uh, party wise, I don't know. Let, let's test out that uh, open bar at the Marconi uh, thing. I bet they can party. So let's go with that. Okay. Bob Odenk. Speaking of uh, speaking of uh, TV shows, just totally divorced from any context in this show whatsoever. Bob Odenkirk, the yes, the star of Better Call Saul. He had uh, he had collapsed uh, while shooting Better Call Saul uh, last week. He had a heart, uh, heart attack. Oh, he is in one of the best movies I've seen so far this year. Nobody. Oh, is that the one and where he is yeah. great? He's a he's an underrated yeah, actor. He is yeah. great. My goodness, he's that's good. that's it's one of the best movies I've seen so far this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. For, for me, I'd rather win the Marconi. I think it's probably the 
hardest one to get by virtue of the fact that uh, there's not near... Er, no, it's it's the easiest one to get by virtue of the fact that there's nearly not nearly as much competition as there is in uh, TV and film. I would much rather go to the Oscars, though. I would just I would figure out who the most pretentious person in the room is. Come on now, order some wine. Yep, just go over there and see what happens. And might you know start getting a little bit crazy with the wine and just might it might make its way out of the wine. I don't know. I, who can tell? Who can tell what what would happen to that? Uh, I mean, but to, to, to me, to just spike the ball in the enemy, thou dost prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, man. Mm-hmm. To spike the ball in the face of the enemy on his own field, and then it's it that is the culture war equivalent of when you shush the crowd after getting the game winning touchdown yeah. or basket, all right, and you just hear the silence. Give me some of that. Give me a lot of it. Question two, what's the most excited for football season, an upcoming football season, you've ever been? Wow. Um, I think of 1989 a lot because we were, uh, the Lions had just drafted Barry Sanders and uh, uh, it was going to be his rookie year and to see what he was going to be like in a Lions uniform. And uh, Michigan and Notre Dame were starting off that year, ranked one and two in the AP poll and they played it was our first game. Notre Dame kind of cheated and scheduled a kickoff classic so that they could get a game in before they mm-hmm. had to play us. But there was so much, I mean, the hype for that game all off season. And we were coming off winning the Rose Bowl, Notre Dame coming off winning the national championship, one, two in every preseason poll. You know, it, it just seemed like that off season was like never going to end. And so, you know, between uh, Barry's debut and that game, I remember that year being one of the most excited I ever was. A couple years later in 1991, when I thought that this was going to be kind of the breakthrough year for the Lions, and it ended up being. That was the year that the Lions won their last playoff game and the only playoff game they've won since 1957. Uh, I got to the NFC Championship game. And then that year, Michigan, I knew was going to be like a preseason top two or three team. And we played both Notre Dame and Florida State in the non-conference. You know, So um, I think of that year, um, I mean, I could... There's a lot of years because you guys know this is my favorite time of year, but those are a couple that just stand out to me. I always forget which, what's the season year and what's when when the Super Bowl actually happened. But the Packers back to back Super Bowls, uh, the first ninety six and ninety seven, right? Six and seven. Yeah. Okay. That's so they would be the ninety five year mm-hmm. then. Uh, we had, you know. We had uh, great success against the 49ers. Uh, the Cowboys kept knocking us off, but we were, you know, fighting them tooth and nail. I mean, we were, Favre was clearly, I mean, he had won two MVPs in a row. Uh, yeah, probably that one leading up to those two Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it probably would have been the 2010-2011 season. I believe the Chiefs were, they had Todd Haley as their coach. I thought that they were decent by Chiefs standards at the time. I can't believe where my standards are for Chiefs football right now. But at the time, I thought they might have been decent. They had Jamal Charles, had a decent record. I believe the year before, maybe even went to the playoffs. Excited for that. Excited for some of those additions. Uh, I mean, the, the Iowa Hawkeyes had just come off, I believe, um, I believe the Orange Bowl back in 2009, or maybe that was 2008. 
but it was somewhere a decade ago. I was I was hyped for both teams and did not go well. Did not go well. Uh, that that was also simultaneously uh, simultaneously probably my, one of my worst years of, of fandom as well. Aaron had a sadder story in a conversation that included the Lions. Wow. I every time someone tries to come at me with their pro football sob story, guys, one playoff win since 1957, the longest drought since winning a division title in all of American team sports. I mean, just don't even try. Just don't even bring your laments. I mean, you're crying over your team's been in the last two Super Bowls, man. Get out of get out of here with that mess. Get I'm out. not crying about him now. I literally just said I cannot believe I where my standards are. Like I don't even like to listen to you talk about the Lions now because I feel like I might get some of that on this. Yes, and I, and I don't like that. I, that see, that's the right response. Nosferatu. Yes, when, that is the right response. When you depart this mortal coil, Steve, and they do an autopsy on your brain, I love the doctors are going to clearly. This is the lion side, and this is the Wolverine side of his brain. Yeah. And, uh, let's see. Nice. Final question number three, and I, I want you to think deeply about this and give a. A very informed answer. Would you rather be a Jedi, a Vulcan, a wizard, or a B-list Marvel superhero? Can we define a B-list? Give me an example of what you would say is a B-list. So would, would Ant-Man be a B-list? Ant-Man would be a B-list. Okay. Yeah. All right, you want to answer this one first? Here is the poll. Of This is where the angst comes from. Still... I think the answer is Jedi. I think the answer is Jedi too. Yeah. It's still, that's, but that's why it's so yeah, I, vexing. I, I mean, think of the power you would wield and think of like, I guess we're going to call them B-list Marvel heroes, an Ant-Man, a Moon Knight, um, people like that. Okay. Nothing comes close to wielding that lightsaber, dude. Nothing does. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat> it has to be Jedi for me. That's why I wanted you to go first, because I wanted to yeah. see what you were going to say. Yeah, I can't even. And I was thinking, you know, Wizard, that that fight in Order of the Phoenix between Dumbledore. Yeah. That was that was like a Jedi fight. See, I, as a Jedi, I'm cool, getting I'm getting the best of both yeah, worlds. I know, I know. I'm getting essentially some some wizard, almost wizard esque powers, oh, yeah, I know, I know. but give plus me that saber sword. instead yeah. of a yeah, plus a laser sword. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I yeah, know. I know. Yeah, yeah. I I think. See, th- this all came down to me to space. So if you're a wizard, you're never going to space. If you're Ant Man, you're rarely going to space. The, fi- um, the final frontier. If, yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, Vulcan, you're probably mostly in space, which is not that fun. By the way, speaking of being in space, have you seen this new um, like hotel thing that Disney World is opening up? It's a Galactic I knew, I, not, Star Cruiser, I believe it's called. I knew called. they were working on it about a year ago. I've not. Oh, seen, are they almost finished with it now? Yeah, Galactic Star Cruiser is what it's called. Tag on it? Yeah, yeah, it's that's, pretty pricey. That's, yeah, never. Yeah, never. No. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think if you're a Vulcan, you're going to be spending too oh, much time. Maybe another Fauci book, brother. You never know, <laughs> right? All right? Too much time in space. If you're a Jedi, you get to be in space quite a bit. You get to be on a lot of different planets, and you get that, as you previously mentioned, Steve, that incredible uh, laser sword. So I, I got to go with the Jedi as well. 
Hey, folks, if you are struggling with chronic pain, I don't mean you just created an owie or an injury that may need, you know, professional medical help. I'm talking about the chronic nagging variety, the stiffness, the achiness in the knee, uh, the back, the neck, the shoulder that just won't go away. Uh, Chances are that is inflammation in your body causing that pain. And therefore, I've got a suggestion for you. It's an all natural anti-inflammatory that's a part of my daily regimen. And it's called Omega XL, backed by 35 years of clinical research. It's what I use to neutralize my chronic pain, and I would suggest you give it a shot as well. And right now, they've got buy one, get one free if you want to give it a shot. Uh, Buy one bottle, get your second one for free when you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve. That's OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or give them a call at 800-844-4888. That's 800-844-4888. Coming up in the overtime that we will record here in a few minutes, uh, right after the program, uh, we're going to get into this data from a, a college researcher. What is it? Eastern Illinois University. Yep. So Tony Romo's uh, 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 alma mater, I believe, uh, where he is going, or is he Southern Illinois? It doesn't matter. Uh, he's good at, he's, he claims that it's actually the secular that are less vaccinated than the believers. We're going to look at some of that data and discuss that in the overtime here at blazetv.com slash days. Until then, gentlemen, anybody have any final any final words? Did I miss a category on that last question? Wizards, Jedi, Vulcan, uh, B-list Marvel, superheroes. Professional athlete. Professional athlete. Yeah, I feel like that's a notch below all those okay. other Yeah, ones, I tend though. to agree. You guys still know my position on if I could choose to be an athlete in any sport, PJ golfer. Yeah. Making huge bank. Most of my season is the time of year when the kids are out of school. Yeah, you're not too far away from uh, hitting the links, are you? And and no, no, I've got four more years until I take up that nasty habit. That's when Noah graduates high school. But uh, And now with the way they've moved the PGA Championship to May, you just basically shut that puppy down. When training camps open mm-hmm. in August, you get the whole football season to kick up your heels, man, and and chillax. That's how you roll. That's that is living right there, if you ask me. Uh the uh next chapter you mentioned, hey, who knows, uh book, a chapter that would definitely be in there. The companion piece to Sweden would definitely be Israel. Cause yo. Yeah, what's what's going on in Israel right now? It, it, this is also some breaking news just as we were doing this show, but there's a clip that has gone viral from an from a, a an Israeli television station talking to uh, one of the chief physicians at the Herzog Hospital there in Jerusalem, and he is saying they are overrun and 85 to 90 percent of their patients are fully vaccinated. He says the vaccines have just lost and faded their efficacy in Israel. Is what he is on camera saying to this audience. Uh oh. Uh oh. Indeed, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.